Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and welcome back to another episode of SCP Archives. Few quick things. First, I'll be at Midsummer Scream in Long Beach, California, July 28th through the 30th. Uh, if you're there, we'll have a bloody disgusting booth with free postcards. Um, I'll also be performing a live show, which you can see on Sunday. Uh, John also has a live show for Creepy on Friday, um, and our friend Shelby Scott is doing a live show for Scary to Sleep on Saturday. Uh, and on Saturday, we also have an Internet Urban Legends booth with Trevor Henderson. Uh, not booth. It's a panel. It's a panel with Trevor Henderson. I'm super excited about it. Uh, so if you're there, come say hi. Come check out our live shows. Um, yeah, be there. It'll be cool. Uh, otherwise, um, what else am I working on? Uh, we launched a new store for Read Dracula this week. Uh, you can find it by going to bit.ly slash regarding Dracula. Uh, and there you'll find some bookmarks, a really cool shirt, and uh, an enamel pin I designed. It's called a book bat. It's really cute. I think you'll like it. <sighs> what else? Uh, oh, of course, this week's patrons. I want to give a big shout out to Richie Mumbai, Sean Stockwell, Jcast07, Josh Wright, ya boy, dude, Ricardo I. Rosales, the for thera. TJ Holder, Nathan Sizemore, Raja Wolf, Jeremy Hancock, and Joseph Beck. Thanks so much for supporting the show, guys. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, oh, last little thing. Changing up the episode format this week. Uh, next, you'll hear some ads from our sponsors. And then this week's episode. So without further ado, a message from our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Warning. The Foundation database is classified. Unauthorized access will result in detainment. Within this archive, you'll find the procedures, descriptions, and accounts of the most notorious anomalies we've encountered to date. Secure. Contain. Protect. By order of the Overseer Council, the following file describes a hostile anomalous entity capable of initializing a VK-class salted earth end-of-human habitability scenario and is level 4-4971 classified. Unauthorized access is forbidden. Item number, SCP-4971. Containment class, Esoteric. Secondary class, Cernanos. Distribution class, 4 Aki. Risk class, 4 Danger. Special containment procedures. The entirety of the Southwood Park Mall has been closed and all entrances have been barricaded. Armored Command Battalion Sato 9 has established an encampment-designated observational site 81-3 around the structure. In the event that any entity emerges from SCP-4971 without the express authorization of Commander Lana Gray, Sato 9 is to attempt to contain the entity or, if infeasible, dispatch the entity with lethal force. In the event that SCP-4971 NABLA emerges from SCP-4971, Sato-9 is to engage the entity with all available ordnance until such time that containment procedures can be developed for SCP-4971 NABLA. The entity cannot be allowed under any circumstances to breach the entrance of SCP-4971. Per the decision of the Foundation Classification Committee on February 17, 2019, and the concurrent ruling by the Foundation Ethics Committee, SCP-4971 is to be classified as Cernanos until such time that adequate replacement procedures can be developed. Description SCP-4971 is a space-time anomaly in the former Southwood Park Mall in Havensbrook, Indiana. The true location of SCP-4971 within the mall is uncertain and variable. Anyone who leaves the main concourse of the mall will eventually find themselves within SCP-4971. 
physical limits of SCP-4971 are currently unknown, but far outreach those of the Southwood Park Mall. The internal topography of SCP-4971 is that of a vast, mostly arboreal landscape under a nearly perpetually setting sun, which sets after 12 hours and returns to its setting position after 13 hours. Much of the native flora bears a similar appearance to species found in the Yukon or Pacific Northwest, but genetic testing of samples taken from within SCP-4971 have been inconclusive. No specimens taken from SCP-4971 have contained any genetic material whatsoever. SCP-4971 contains several hostile anomalous entities. Many of these entities can be managed with small arms fire. However, others are considerably more dangerous and should be approached only if absolutely necessary and with extreme caution. Unverified cognitohazardous properties of their vocalizations may interact with human cognitive function. SCP-4971 Nabla is an entity found within SCP-4971. See Addendum 4971.8 for additional information. Addendum 4971.1 Discovery The Southwood Park Mall opened in 1985 and operated through 2006. In the spring of 2006, the last major anchor store within the mall, Eagle Pass Outfitting, liquidated the location's stock, citing poor attendance figures. The mall closed temporarily in June of that year pending a buyout, but when the investor proposal fell through, the mall was left abandoned and closed to the public. The closing of the mall did little to dissuade local vagrants and trespassers, who frequently broke in to loot the empty shops. On one occasion, local police received calls that teenagers had entered the mall through a locked service door and were performing satanic rituals within. Investigators were unable to ascertain proof of anything other than a break-in. On February 12, 2007, police received another report of a break-in. Eyewitnesses described hearing screams and unnatural sounds coming from within the structure. First responders were unable to locate the trespassers, a large group, some of whom had been caught attempting to break in at an earlier date. Extensive searching of the mall revealed SCP-4971, which was brought to the attention of containment teams at Site-81 by Foundation assets embedded in local authorities. During the initial investigation, a number of law enforcement personnel were lost within SCP-4971. Garbled audio transmissions were received from officers in a state of panic and confusion before contact was lost. Further attempts at communication were unsuccessful. Addendum 4971.2 Internal Memos The following are internal foundation memos by Dr. William Decker of Site-81, detailing the circumstances leading to the discovery of SCP-4971. We have a lot of information coming in quickly, so I'll try to keep this brief. We've identified one of the missing teenagers as Katerina Randolph, a 19-year-old Caucasian woman who disappeared from her grandparents' house in Maine, where she had been living since her parents died in 2004. Police determined that Randolph didn't disappear as much as she ran off. She was seen mingling with a group of far-left naturalist pseudo-occultists, the Daughters of Eden, which is exactly what it sounds like. Druidic types that believe mankind has disrupted the natural order of things, trying to use magic and arcane practices to restore balance. They were involved in a number of protests in the Northeast, and Randolph was arrested at least four times. The Daughters of Eden have been on our radar for the last few years, because one of their other members, a woman named Anna Christian, who now goes by the name Night Lily, was recently involved with a group of actual occultists out of three Portlands. This night lily got her hands on some artifacts recovered from the old Miskatonic University in Massachusetts and has been using them in minor summoning rituals for the last decade or so. One in particular that concerned our cult research teams was the last appeal of Bifi. Last time it cropped up was when part of the document was used to summon a minor planar entity during the Northern Awakening event of the 80s. Talk to the oldest American task force agent you know. They'll be able to tell you all about it. The story is that it is supposedly a text written by a puritanical minister who was writing down the last words spoken by a witch named Bifi during a torturous exorcism that involved burning her alive. The cultists believe that the words she spoke were an old native chant that would summon nature spirits to drive away the European colonists. There used to be six of these manuscripts. Three were burned by the other Puritans. One was lost at sea in the 1870s, one was bought by Oswald Carter and then burned it. 
and this one sat in Hitler's bedside table until the Allies entered Berlin. Eventually it found its way to Miskatonic University and then into the hands of the cultists where the place burned down. All of this to say, we raided the Daughters of Eden a few months ago and recovered Anna Christian and the rest of them in the raid. Who we didn't find was Cantorita Randolph. And we also didn't recover the manuscript. Fast forward to Monday, when Katerina Randolph is identified in surveillance footage breaking into the Southwood Park Mall with a new group of devotees and the last appeal of Bifey in hand. Next thing you know, they're all gone, and the inside of the mall is a fucking arcane forest. It's no coincidence. There are a lot of smaller incantations in there, like the ones used to summon the lesser entities and others to cause inclement weather, changes in temperature, etc., Minor things. The big ritual, though, is problematic. There's an entity described in some occult text that references the last appeal whose name translates to something like the one who knows the silence in the earth. Our functional knowledge about this entity is extremely limited, but suffice to say that it's the last entity named in the last appeal, the entity that Bifi called out for when they were driving flaming pokers into her eyes. The actual last appeal. We need to get into SCP-4971 as soon as possible and ascertain what we're dealing with here. SCP Foundation Internal Memo Number 2 One more thing I forgot to mention in my first report, and the reason why I'm going to request a stay of classification on this so it doesn't just get classified as Euclid and we can pretend it's just some thing, the reason we know so much about the last appeal of Bifi is that we have part of it. When it became clear that Miskatonic had the last copy of the manuscript, the Dean of Anthropology, Dr. Damon Wells, split the manuscript up and gave the back half of it to us for safekeeping. When he did this, he assured us that the text back up the existence of this entity that the witch Bifee was appealing to, the one who knows the silence in the earth, and that the only reason she didn't summon the creature on the spot is that the ritual involves a pretty copious amount of human sacrifice. If I had to guess, I'd say that's the fate of all the other people who went into the Southwood Mall with Katarina Randolph. Fortunately, the back half of the manuscript is a sort of inverse incantation that will seal the door of this other world shut in the event that it is opened in the first place. The full incantation acts sort of like a question. You open this gate, and then you ask the gate to remain open or close. Unfortunately, there's a human cost requirement here as well, and it scales logarithmically. Bifee probably wasn't a mathematician, but the folks at Miskatonic did the calculations. Something like a life every hour, and then double every hour after, etc., etc. On the plus side, it has an upper limit. So, the good news is that a ritual to contain SCP-4971 Nabla exists. The bad news is that we reached the upper limit about four hours ago. The upper limit is, and I quote, every human heart that has not yet known silence. That's where we're at. We can contain SCP-4971 so long as we're all right with the ritual sacrifice of every living human on the planet. It goes without saying that we're going to continue working on this. Addendum 4971.3 Classification and Ethics Committee Joint Ruling on SCP-4971 The motion to accept SCP-4971 containment procedures was rejected by all seven members of the Ethics Committee. The Ethics Committee ruling was delivered by Dr. Jeremiah Samarian. Foundation Ethics Committee had. In determining the matter of SCP-4971, it is prescient to assess what is and is not truly knowable. While the Foundation has a long and storied history of interactions with the arcane and occults, that history is fraught with misinformation and falsehoods, both regarding the nature of the arcane, as we understand it, and also the intentions of those who claim to interact with it. It is no secret that there is true, inexplicable power in this world. Whether that power is claimed to be derived from otherworldly, extra-dimensional, or otherwise distant sources makes no difference in deciding the seriousness in which it should be considered. For every arcane interaction, two questions must be asked. Is this power able to affect the world in any meaningful way? And does this power have controls or limits? The first question's affirmative necessitates a response to the second on the Foundation's behalf. In order to maintain the statutes of normalcy as determined by the Overseer Council, sufficiently influential arcane power must be met with any and all appropriate measures to contain that power. However, in the case of SCP-4971, 
We have determined that the containment procedures provided by our occult research division are either insufficient to contain SCP-4971 Nambla, should it reveal itself, or unacceptable in maintaining normalcy in a sufficiently ethical manner. The nature of the available procedures necessitates a loss of human life that is unacceptable given the current state of the anomaly. In short, this committee cannot accept the containment procedures as provided by the occult research division and will submit this ruling to the Classification Committee for their review. The motion to establish the Cernanos Esoteric Containment Class was accepted by 9 out of 11 Classification Committee members. The motion was rejected by T. Paxton and A. Desai. The motion to promote SCP-4971 to a Cernanos Class passed, with only A. Desai rejecting the motion. Foundation Classification Committee Head Dr. J. Carlisle Actis delivered the Classification Committee ruling. The ruling of the Ethics Committee creates a unique scenario when classifying SCP-4971. As determined by the Occult Research Division, there are extant containment procedures which would sufficiently contain SCP-4971 permanently. However, the Ethics Committee ruling precludes our ability to enact those containment procedures. After consultation with the Occult Research Division, it has also been determined that there are no secondary procedures available that will sufficiently contain SCP-4971. As a result, we have decided to circumvent this dilemma with the establishment of the Cernonis Class Esoteric Containment Classification. The full requirements of this classification will be available in the next revision of the Classification Handbook. But in short, the class will exist as a stopgap between entities that have functional containment procedures available that, due to the nature of those containment procedures, prevent the Foundation from carrying them out. The focus of SCP-4971's ongoing containment will be mitigation, research, and an effort to devise alternate containment procedures given the information available in order to move SCP-4971 out of an esoteric containment class and into a stable containment class, such as the proposed Archon class. Addendum 4971.4, Daughters of Eden Manifesto Excerpt. Note, the following is an excerpt of a document recovered during a raid on the former living quarters of Katerina Randolph, which had been the de facto gathering location for the Daughters of Eden occultist group. Daughters, we, Daughters of Gaia, we, daughters of Eden, we have persisted throughout these many millennia, bound to the subservience of fell will. Our tears have been used to water the fields of the industry, and our wombs have been robbed from us to perpetrate the patriarchal abomination that has taken this bountiful world, this great blessing that Mother Gaia offered to us without cost, and turned it into fuel for the engines of war of bloodshed, and of slavery. We have been used like cattle to breed new generations of the same machinations that have upturned field and forest and buried the wretched poor beneath the concrete foundations of the new world. It is no new world of mine. It is no new world of ours. We reject it. Gaia cries out for reprieve, and in her own voice we will answer. The sword of her deliverance has passed into our hands, and we will wield it without fear, without hesitation, with such terrible prejudice that this world will be washed clean of sins, of our fathers and sons, and all of those who have turned the grinding gears of disorder. We will cast alongside the barricade that has for so long kept this deliverance at bay. We will welcome Gaia's champion back into our world, and we will bask in the glow of the righteous torment it will bring down upon the souls who have scarred our mother's face. We will make the world new. We will make the world clean. Rise, sisters. Rise, daughters. Your heart belongs to Gaia. Addendum 4971.5 Initial Site Exploration Note, the following is an audio-video transcript of the initial exploration attempt into SCP-4971. Mobile Task Force Epsilon-13, Manifest Destiny, was assigned to SCP-4971 and inserted roughly 51 hours after initial discovery of the anomaly. Epsilon-13 was composed of three members, identified by call signs. Team Leader Eclipse, Occult Science Specialist Atlantis, 
as well as Communication Officer Nine Eyes. Entry team, check your microphones and report in. Eclipse, check. Nine Eyes, check. Atlantis, go again? This is Atlantis. Checkeroo? That's better. Command, entry team is ready for deployment. Acknowledged, Epsilon 13. You are clear for entry into the anomaly. Stack up and prepare for insertion. The team approaches the front door of the Southwood Park Mall, taking up position on one side of the steel barricade. The on-site security force is dug in nearby to maintain containment in the event of any imminent threat. Epsilon 13 in position. Pulling the hatch. The steel enclosure over the door to the mall slowly slides out of place. How's the activity been? Light today. A handful of signals early this morning, but nothing since. The steel enclosure comes to a stop. Good luck. Yeah, thanks. Who needs luck? Eclipse peeks beyond the barrier. It's dark inside. Lamps on. Team members activate shoulder-mounted lights. Eclipse sweeps the area beyond the barrier, shining his light over detritus, tumbled mannequins, and graffiti-stained walls, scanning for threats. Clear. We're good to go. The team enters the mall, taking up defensive positions inside as they wait for the steel enclosure to shut behind them. The interior of the mall is without power, though some light enters through a large overhead skylight. Due to overcast weather, this light is minimal. Alright, let's move. The team enters the mall's main lobby. There are signs of looting and rampant vandalism, and much of the interior is in disarray. You hear that? It's the wind. It smells strange. Yes, it does. The air in here is breathable, but it's not pleasant. Don't hesitate to hit your oxygen if you start feeling anything. The team proceeds down the nearest hallway, passing several small stores. They reach a food court once spanned by a glass skywalk. Its remains lie shattered across the benches and tiled floors. Vandals didn't do that. They definitely did not. I imagine that was probably caused by the same thing they're keeping in with that slab over in the front door. Check disturbances. Ten o'clock. Three figures. In the closing store. The team swings their weapons in that direction. Eclipse takes point, moving towards the front of the store. Just inside, a human figure bound in thick gray webbing watches them, utterly motionless. Its features are hidden, except for its eyes, which glow dimly in the darkness. Somewhere behind it, two more sets of eyes watch them from behind clothing racks. Are they alive? I don't know. But I feel like they're watching us. I don't see anything on thermal. I don't think you're going to. Let's keep moving. Watch those figures, Nine. I want to know if they move. Roger. Epsilon 13 continues into an adjoining hallway. Distant rushing water becomes audible as they continue down the hallway, which now has exceeded the external dimensions of the Southwood Park Mall. Look, there. That store. What language is the sign written in? It's... Huh? That's not a language. Not one our system recognizes, anyway. We're getting close. Eclipse gestures towards an atrium roughly 60 meters away, and the team moves in that direction. However, upon passing through the end of the hallway, the ceiling ends, and the team is suddenly standing outside, at the top of a cliff overlooking a vast forest that extends out as far as they can see. The woodlands are broken up only by the occasional large plateau, or, in the far distance, a range of mountains. Behind them, the Southwood Park Mall, now somehow overgrown in the threshold of the anomaly. The sun hangs low in the sky, as if in twilight. Several meters outside of the mall's exit into SCP-4971 is a large symbol torn into the earth by hands wielding crude tools, sticks and rocks which now lie discarded at the edge of the circle. The symbol is composed of concentric rings surrounding a series of triangles and rings within. Thick red fluid fills the trenches that form the symbol. At the center is blackened earth and the remains of a fire, beneath which lie the charred remains of an unidentified hooved animal. Several small glass vials are shattered on the ground nearby. Sitting in front of the symbol, on the ground, is a makeshift wooden altar. Resting on it is a lantern and a large bloody machete. Several blood-soaked sponges lay on the ground nearby. A leather-bound book lays open on the ground. 
That's strange. What's strange about it? That's the summoning circle for the entity described in the appeal, but there's a a pretty significant human life requirement to do the thing that book describes, and I would have expected to see bodies. Obviously, that's a, a lot of blood, but there would be bodies, you know, or at least signs a pile of bodies had been stacked around here somewhere. How many bodies? Uh, well, it's not really an exact science. It's not the lives, specifically. It's the weight of their hearts, so... There were 61 people who entered the mall the other night, and four cops who went missing afterwards. Average weight of a heart is 310 grams, so yeah, that would do it. But that still doesn't explain where the bodies are. Sun looks like it's on the way down. Don't know how much daylight we'll have. But we might as well see if we can get down there. Eclipse gestures to the bottom of the cliff face. Seems like that's the only way to go. The team descends a winding path across the cliff face over the course of one hour and 56 minutes. You notice what's going on with the sky? Yeah. The sun hasn't moved since we got here. Exactly. It's in the exact same position. Right there on the horizon. We're nearly there now. Look. The team finishes their descent and stand in a small clearing in front of the forest. What now? Reconnaissance. Command wants to bring a heavy fire team in here soon, but we need to get our eyes on target before they do that. They want to bring a heavy fire team in here? Why? Beats me. Something must have them spooked. I... What? It's just that the text isn't clear what the target is. The manuscript is mostly comprised of curses and threats, but the author doesn't describe where these threats are coming from. If it wasn't for that thing back in 84, or this anomaly right now, it would be easy to write off the entire document as just... ravings. Well, we'll just keep our eyes peeled then. Maybe we'll know it when we see it. Who knows? How's our connection looking, Nine? Decent. Want to patch into command? Yeah. All right, one moment. You're good. Command dispatch, this is Epsilon 13 Actual. Over. We read you, Eclipse. Go ahead. We've entered the anomaly proper, some sort of arcane forest. Trees are bigger, greens are greener, that sort of thing. The saturation has been turned way up in here. Solitary solar body hasn't moved off the horizon since we got here two hours ago. Descended a pretty considerable cliff. Now we're down level with the forest. Over. One moment, Eclipse. Over. Research wants to know if you've located the manuscript. Over. Yep, we sure did. Big arcane symbol dug out of the ground, too. Filled up with human blood. A lot of it. No bodies, though. And we haven't found the person of interest, either. Over. Copy that, Eclipse. Research wants to make sure that- Yeah, yeah, we're gonna bring their book back. Do you want us to just camp out here until the heavy team gets in, or do we need to scope anything out? Over. One moment, Eclipse. We're receiving your telemetry now. Over. Short-range scans indicate a water source nearby, likely a river or stream, in between a range of hills roughly eight and a half clicks north from your position. You should be able to travel overland to reach it. Hold that position until the heavy team arrives. Over. Understood. We'll update on arrival. Over. Through the forest, huh? A real nature trek. Yeah, I wouldn't get too excited. Something about this place is triggering one of my lizard brain impulses. Might be the latent EM static. What? Something in here is creating a lot of EM noise. I'm trying to figure out where it's coming from. If it gets much worse, it might mess with any of our equipment that isn't shielded. Can you manage it? I... Yeah, I think so. We just might not have as much time in here as we prefer. Copy that. Let's roll. Epsilon 13 advances into the forest toward the forward point established by command group for approximately an hour and 15 minutes. We're being watched. Are you sure? I am. To the east. What is that? The figures from before? I don't know. I can't make it out. Whatever it is. There's more than one. How many? Five or six? Do you hear that? There. Yeah, yes, some kind of chattering. An animal? No animal I've ever heard. Lantis? 
Where are our followers? They've either dispersed or they're hanging further back. They're not close. Look alive, up ahead. The team moves into a defensive position. Nothing on thermal. Anybody have eyes on? Yeah, I... I don't know what it is. What do you mean? I see it. It looks like an animal, but there's something wrong with its head. It's messing with my oculars. Hang on. It's gone. Did you catch it on your camera? I did. I think so, yeah. There was some trippy light or something around its head. Yeah, it's gone somewhere into the shadows. Let's hurry. It's actually starting to get dark. The team continues forward through the forest. Nine Eyes' auditory sensor picks up several unknown sounds, but for some reason the agent does not relay this to the rest of the group. As the sun sets, the group emerges onto a steep hillside. What's their telemetry look like? Let's see. I think we're where we need to be. There's another ridge over that way that might be a little higher, but there's another half mile of woods between there and here. It's already dark enough. You see that river down there? Yeah. Go down there and grab some samples of that water. Don't drink it. We have reserves. I just want to see what it is. Copy that. Atlantis moves down the north side of the slope towards the river below. Fuck me, it's dark. Do we know when our relief is going to be here? No clue. Hopefully soon. Nine Eyes, how's the radio look? Can we still get in touch with Topside? Let me give it a shot. Command, this is Epsilon 13-9, do you copy? Command, this is Nine Eyes, do you copy? Great. It's just the EM static. When we get light again, I'll get a range extender set up and reestablish connection. Sounds good. Let's set up here and we'll move again in the morning. You guys feel like... All recorders cut out in unison. Addendum 4971.6. Occult Research Analysis Summary of SCP-4971 and Related Documents. Dr. Decker. The following is an internal foundation document by Dr. Amon Anders of the Department of Occult Research. Forward. Attached is our report detailing the occult characteristics of the SCP-4971 anomaly. SCP-4971 is, in short, a delineated, affixed, unshrouded space-time abnormality within the Southwood Park Mall. This anomaly is consistent with others of its type. It has specific boundaries, is unmoving, and is not somehow concealed by itself or other space-time anomalies such as those identified as ways or passages. However, SCP-4971 is distinct in several ways. Specifically, it is far and away the largest such anomaly ever documented with an estimated interior volume of over 400,000 cubic meters, not including the extraspatial area on its far side. Like many such anomalies, SCP-4971 is believed to be maintained by an external energy source. Due to the arcane rituals involved in the creation of SCP-4971, it is likely that this source is a being of considerable power. The primary text associated with SCP-4971, The Last Appeal of Biffy, details a desperate cry for the annihilation of one's aggressors. The text does not name this annihilative force specifically, but does describe characteristics of it. These characteristics paint a picture of a force or entity that bears some likeness to this world, and will aim to remake it in a way that rids it of unnatural conquest. This entity or force is also associated with a symbol, one that Biffy is described as carving into her own chest as she died, a series of circles and triangles called the Vox and I. This Vox and I is found elsewhere, in documents recovered from ancient Druidic ruins in southern Britain. These documents, many of which were burned during the Roman conquest of the island, describe the eye as a sort of focus, a lens through which power can be channeled to move nature into action. This was described as calling upon Gaia, and small crystal and metal versions of the Vox and eye have been found in ancient caches of pre-Roman artifacts, likely from when they were used in pagan ceremonies. The last text that describes the Vox and eye is another recovered from the Miskatonic University called Porter's Writings on Arcane Beasts. The text describes a number of creatures supposedly encountered by the Victorian-aged cryptozoologist Edward Porter, and includes references to several other SCPs, including SCP-966 and SCP-1013. 
In this text, the author writes, It is no surprise, then, that those ancient people feared the trees more than anything else, as the trees brought them both great bounty and great terror. At night they would be stalked by wolves and great cats, and on the nights of the full moon they would make sacrifices to the true god of those tall trees. They named him the one who knows silence in the earth, and it is said that through the frosted forests of the north he would emerge to take payment in human hearts for the protection of the tribe. It was said this being could not be gazed upon directly for fear of death, and that only through a vox and eye could its magnificence be understood. While the true nature of this entity continues to elude us, more information becomes available every day. The North American occult tradition, which traces its ancestry back to early Native and colonial American druids and witches, is apparently keenly familiar with this entity. My own contacts in many of these circles describe the name of this entity as something of a taboo, a line which should not be idly crossed. The account of Biffy is regarded as a tragedy, but her utterance of the curses that codified the incantation required to gather this entity's attention is considered to have been dangerous and foolish. Some have even argued that Biffy was mistaken, and was attempting to contact the wrong entity entirely. Regardless, it changes nothing. Even in the face of impending death, one's own demise is not considered distance enough from this entity to escape whatever fate lies beyond that meeting. Hey everyone, it's Pacific again here with a quick ad break and a reminder for just $5 a month, you can get ad free and bonus episodes on our Patreon at patreon.com slash SCP underscore POD. You can also find a link to our Patreon in the show notes below. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at And now, back to the episode. Addendum 4971.7, Site Exploration. Note, the following is a transcript of audio-video logs gathered by members of Mobile Task Force IOTA 44, Gangbusters, who were inserted into SCP-4971 18 hours after the Epsilon-13 team to join them in setting up a forward position. IOTA 44 was composed of seven members, identified by call signs. Team Leader Horizon, Heavy Fire Team Members Vestige, Cato, Carrier, Ashen, and Wild, as well as Communications Officer Aleppo. We're into the anomaly proper. Do you copy us? Over. We hear you, Horizon. We've lost radio contact with Epsilon-13, but their personnel locators are still active in transmitting. They are setting up a forward position on a nearby ridge. We need you to head there. Interference is causing broadcasting issues, so if you lose contact with us, you'll need to set up your long-range transmitter. Sounds good. We're rolling. It's quiet. I was just thinking the same thing. It's eerie. Horizon, I'm picking up something. What is it? It's faint. Uh... I think it's someone singing. It's broadcasting over our comms frequency. Push it. All members of IOTA-44 stop as Aleppo pushes the incoming signal to all headsets. Watch her so... How can I... I love her, yes. Give my heart glad... What the hell is that? Hang on. Something is coming. They're in the woods. Look! Form up! Get over here! Come on! Come on! Move! IOTA-44 moves quickly forward. The sounds of foliage being disrupted becomes evident as many figures move through the darkness of the forest. Young and lovely, the girl from Ipanema walking, and when she passed, smile. She doesn't see. What the fuck is that? Up there! Look! In the sky! Something above the team illuminates the area briefly, but none of their cameras capture it before it disappears. The team stops suddenly as Horizon raises his fist. There, up ahead, look. A humanoid figure stands beneath a tree, 
its features mostly hidden in darkness. It is lean, with auburn hair and a mess of tree branches, leaves, and vines bound around its neck like a collar. It is otherwise nude. The entity does not have a head. Instead, it has a glowing white symbol that vibrates rapidly. As soon as this symbol comes on screen, all video recorders begin to show signs of heavy distortion. Command, do you copy? We've got a situation down here. We've encountered a local. How would you like us to proceed? Over. No response. Just that same singing. We're jammed. God damn it. All right. Everybody form up on me. Hello. Do you understand me? Do you know what I'm saying? The entity shudders slightly, and its shoulders roll back. A moment later, it disappears, reappearing closer to the group. It does this several times very quickly, each time getting closer to the group. As it approaches, it becomes obvious that the entity is levitating off the ground. Fuck! Weapons free! Iota 44 opens fire on the entity. The entity staggers backwards, driven against a tree by a hail of gunfire. The impact points flare brightly with white light. Finally, it collapses, and the glowing white symbol above its shoulders shatters. Holy fuck! Holy fuck! What was that? Sensors are picking up more figures. Moving this way. Everybody, form the fuck up! We- Ugh! God damn it! Aleppo rips out his earpiece. Something has screamed over the wideband. Oh no. All around the team. Many glowing white symbols appear as more of them emerge from the darkness. Soft chattering is heard through the otherwise silent forest. From behind them, they hear rustling. Turning towards the sound, they see Entity killed by Horizon shaking violently on the ground. After a moment it falls still, and then rises as if lifted by the shoulders to hover over the ground once again. Another sound is heard, later determined to be the same breaking glass and scream as before, only in reverse. As the sound ends, the glowing white symbol appears over the creature's shoulders, and the entity begins moving towards the group. Fall back! Iota 44 attempts a tactical withdrawal, firing their weapons to inhibit the advance of the humanoid entities as they retreat through the forest. The team's fire is precise and lethal, but the entities who fall rise again in seconds. Kato trips and falls to the ground and is sworn before the team can get to him. Shortly afterwards, his camera and personal locator cease functioning. An entity grapples briefly with Ashen. The agent is seen briefly by Wild, as the former had an arm pulled off by one of the humanoid entities and disappears. His camera and personnel locator also cease functioning. As the remaining members continue their retreat, Aleppo's transponder begins to ping. Anyone hear us? Hello? We hear Horizon. you, can you hear us? Epsilon 13 on comms. Epsilon 13, Epsilon 13. This is IOTA 44 Actual, do you copy? We're under attack, need assistance, over. Holy shit, you can hear us. Okay, head for open here, we can't- Or get higher! We need to get out, hurry! I see a rise up ahead, 30 degrees north! The team sprints towards an opening in the tree line. As they run, more and more entities appear all around them. They close in quickly, and the sound of chattering becomes increasingly louder, and the ground beneath them shakes suddenly. Wild is knocked sideways and stumbles, falling slightly behind the group. Aleppo, Vestige, and Carrier break through the tree line and onto the horizon. Horizon hangs back as Wild runs forward, but she's seized from behind. Horizon levels his rifle and fires at the entities attacking Wild. Several of them fall away, but there are too many. Horizon shoots and kills Wild before turning and running the rest of the way out of the clearing. When he turns back, all of the hostile entities are gone, as is the body of Wild. God damn it, god damn it, god damn it! Iota 44, do you copy, over? Do you copy, over? This is Iota 44 Actual, I copy, over. What's your situation? We're down to three, those things in the woods, there were too many of them. What are those things, over? We don't know. We weren't prepped for that. Atlantis thinks they're... Shit, how, how did you describe them? Like, they're fragments. Pieces of people that got lost here whenever they were doing the... The, the ritual, you, you need to get in here. We can't fucking kill them, man. 
We shot so many of them, but they just keep getting back up. Yeah, we think they're drawing power from somewhere else. Anytime one of them does that, there's a lot of DEM static, and then they get back up. Whatever the source of that static is, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty strong. It's blocking our wideband radio, and that thing is nothing to fuck with. Where are you? We're in a... looks like a clearing on a hill. We need to consolidate. Do you see a river? Somewhere, uh... somewhere to the northwest of you? Yeah. Yeah, I do. We were there about a week ago. We headed northeast with a river towards the mountains. We're nearly... Check, check. Eclipse. How long ago did you say you were here? Uh, about a week, we think. The days don't line up, but we've got clocks and, um, why? We entered the anomaly less than a day after you, and we've only been here six hours, maybe. Yeah, that's... Damn. That's not great, Horizon. No. No, it's not, we... Horizon, do you copy? Horizon? Horizon, do you copy? Something moving, down to the south. Really getting a lot of... Oh. All radios cut out entirely. From Epsilon 13's position, a loud, low droning sound is heard as if from great distance. Out of 44 Aleppo's video transmitter broadcasts for 12 seconds, recording a single still frame of SCP-4971 Nabla before the remainder of the video is washed out. Addendum 4971.8, Anna Christian Interview. Note, the following is a transcript of an interview conducted with Anna Christian. Person of Interest 4971.02, who was apprehended three months before the discovery of SCP-4971. The interview was conducted shortly after the loss of contact with IOTA-44. We need to know what you know about the last appeal of Bifi. Why? What does cooperating with you fuckfaces do to help me now? Once this is done, you're just going to wheel me back in my cell and let me rot until you decide to get to see an adjoining hallway again. We're willing to discuss your release if you're willing to cooperate. We just need information. What do you want to know? What is the world beyond the anomaly? What is that place? Oh, you've... You've opened it. Not us. Katarina Randolph opened it. (sighs) She's a fucking idiot. I warned her about this. I warned her over and over again. Damn it. Warned her about what? The... Okay. So, I'm a witch, right? Not like a sit on a broom and stir a pot witch, but like... Ever since I was a girl, it's like I could see more than other people. I could talk to animals and heard the trees whispering and then darker things too. Older things. When I found out there were others like me, I was elated, you know? To have other people who I could talk to. I was so enamored in the mystery of it all. The secret meetings, the old languages, and the the things they'd warn us about. The rituals. Like the ones in The Last Appeal? The rituals were what I was most fascinated with. You mix blood with ash and the gratings of a cloven hoof, and you can bring nature to bear. Poison water, turn crops to rot. That's real power. It's not power you own, but power you wield nonetheless. That book contains power, but not the kind that Katerina hoped it was. How do you mean? Katerina and her followers are eco-terrorists who masquerade as a coven. They don't understand cost and sacrifice, they're just out to save the trees. I believed her, and I taught her things. How to turn steel to rust in an instant to ruin the treads of a bulldozer. How to bring the land to mud and bring locusts to run off developers. It was never enough for her, though. She wanted bigger and more powerful. She would say, We won't be finished until we can wipe the bile of man off Gaia's face. When I got my hands on the last appeal, I was just a kid like her. I thought I knew everything, but I had wise elders who taught me patience. In that patience, I learned everything I could about the appeal, and the things described in it. I learned that it was not what I thought it was. I learned that I had been wrong. What did you think it was? A nature god. 
and appealed to Gaia. We all did, and Katerina did too. She didn't believe me. Assumed I was holding information from her because I was scared. I was scared, but not because I was worried she would bring forth Gaia's champion. I was scared because the one who knows silence in the earth isn't a nature god at all. It's a god of sacrifice. The world it resides in, the creatures that inhabit that place, they're all byproducts of sacrifices and rituals. They're sustained by them. The souls of humans, of plants and animals, things far away and things very close. It takes those souls and turns them into new life. In its own image. It will remake this world, but the world it creates will not be a world mankind can survive in. It'd be like replacing rivers and lakes with battery acid. How do we close the gate? <laughs> you can't. Not that she cared about that. She was obsessed. She wanted to remake the world for Gaia. The cost is too high. How do we kill the creature within it? Kill it? How do you kill a god? You can't kill it, not with all the bombs and bullets in the universe. It is sustained by rituals. Not just rituals involving goats and blood and the full moon. Smaller rituals, smaller sacrifices, made by everyday people. Even those that your foundation performs to keep the dark things hidden away. That's how you kill it. You stop performing rituals. You stop making sacrifices. And the one who knows silence in the earth will disappear. Just like that. You know we can't do that. Then you can't kill it. That's it. You can't kill it. And you better pray to whatever gods are still listening that it doesn't find that doorway. Because the moment it gets out here is the moment it starts performing its own rituals. And it won't be satisfied by hooves and ash. Denim 4971.9, SCP-4971 Nabla. Note, the following is an audio-video transcript of recordings collected by Mobile Task Force Epsilon 13, Manifest Destiny. Camera activates, facing eclipse. He is clearly worn and emaciated. This is Eclipse, transmitting for, uh, for anyone who can hear us. We've been in here two months now, and rations have all but run out. Can't eat anything in here. It burns your mouth, even the plants. Water is drinkable, but I think it's making us sick. My eyesight is starting to go, and Nine Eyes is wounded, so that's, that's where we're at now. We're up in the mountains, and we found a place we can cross, and we're going to go there. We can see everything from up here. If, uh, you, uh, if you look... The camera pans over the forest, which extends out in every direction. Yeah, out there. It's just forest, as far as we can see. Sun is still setting. Sometimes it gets dark. We see lights sometimes over in the mountains, which is why we're why we're going there, so that's where we're at. The camera goes dark as Eclipse reconnects it to his helmet. Let's go. Let's get up there. Come on. The remaining members of Epsilon 13 move up the sheer mountain face. It is clear now that they were resting on a narrow outcropping. It is unclear how they were able to climb such a steep slope without climbing equipment. After a short time, they reach a larger outcropping. From where they are standing, they can see a path between two peaks and the four of them slowly move forward towards the path. Eclipse looks at Atlantis, who also looks severely emaciated. He looks back at Nine-Eyes, who is heavily bandaged. Come on, we're almost there. A few more steps and we're there. Then we get to go home. We cross here, and we get to go home. The team passes through the area between the two peaks. As they exit the pathway onto the other side, they find themselves on a wide plateau overlooking more forest and mountains. A river cuts through the forest far below. There! She's down there! Hey! Hey, you! Turn around! Turn around where I can see you! A naked human figure is dancing on the edge of the mountain ahead. Eclipse, Atlantis, and Nine-Eyes draw their weapons. As they approach, they can see a symbol drawn on the ground beneath her. A human heart lies discarded nearby. She is singing. Tall and tan and young and lovely, the girl from Ipanema goes walking 
And when Get on the ground! Get on the fucking ground! The woman turns to face the group. They recognize Katerine Randolph. She does not stop dancing. A large wound is visible on her chest. Get down! I swear to God I'll fucking kill you! Oh, but I watch her so sadly. How can I tell her I love her? Fire! Fire! Gunshots as the team fires on Katerina. She stumbles back slightly and laughs, and then goes quiet as a round strikes her in the head. She collapses to the ground. Fuck. Is that it? I think that's... A sudden loud, low droning sound fills the air, followed by a flash of light. All remaining members of the team are knocked off their feet and fall to the ground. Eclipse and Nine Eyes' video recorders are disabled instantly. The audio recorder fills with static. As the team rises, Atlantis' camera turns toward the valley. In the valley below is SCP-4971 Nabla, a titanic, servine entity. It does not have a head or neck. Instead, the entire structure has been replaced by a massive, vibrating, white glowing crest. Around its torso orbits white glowing orbs that, as they spin, send shimmering white particles into the air all around it. SCP-4971 Nabla takes long, slow steps forward and turns to face a task force. In the center of the main seal is a glowing circular disc with a pitch-black center. The body of Katerina Randolph shivers and then is lifted upwards as if by the shoulders and hangs in the air a meter off the ground. Atlantis lifts her weapon to fire, but the body begins laughing. (laughs) Gaia, Gaia, I'm yours. Have me. The body shakes, and following the same inverted scream as heard by Iota 44, Katerina Randolph's head collapses into the bullet wound as a spinning white seal emerges from within it. It rotates rapidly before settling and turning to face the group. In unison, the static on the radio ceases. Yes, I would give my heart gladly. But each day as she walks to the sea... Eclipse and Nine Eyes begin firing at the thing that was Katerina Randolph, who begins to move away from them rapidly. The same low droning sound is heard as Atlantis turns to flee. The moment before she passes into the pathway between the mountain peaks behind them, she turns to see Eclipse and Nine Eyes suspended in the air as their hearts are violently pulled from their bodies by an unseen force. Atlantis turns and runs. The skies begin to darken as the sun sets. Atlantis sprints through the mountain pass, emerging again on the near side of the mountain. She takes a few steps forward and stops as the entity that was Katerina Randolph appears in the air in front of her. Atlantis' heart rate slows, and she reaches for the knife in her belt. All right. Come on! You pixie bits, let's fucking go! Atlantis rushes Katerina. There's another loud droning sound, and Atlantis's audio and video feed are disabled. Addendum 4971.10 Additional Transmissions After loss of communication with both Epsilon 13 and Iota 44, Site 81 Command announced the moratorium on additional explorations of SCP 4971 and sealed the site. Unidentified creatures continue to be heard within the Southwood Park Mall, but no additional teams are sent to investigate conditions within. On October 19, 2007, a single transmitter within SCP-4971 connected and began transmitting. Following this was a considerable transfer of information to the on-site data server, including weather, topography, and electromagnetic field data from within the anomaly. In addition to this, the full video and audio logs of IOTA 44 and Epsilon 13 were transmitted. At the conclusion of this transfer, the transmitter disconnected again. On October 29, 2007, the transmitter activated again, this time showing a video feed of a Foundation-issued wideband radio tower on the top of a mountain. This video feed remained active for 6 minutes and 32 seconds before disconnecting. On November 19, 2007, a single still-frame image of the ground was transmitted to the on-site data server. Written in the dirt were the words, Still here. 
On June 16, 2015, the transmitter activated for 18 seconds. During this period, a woman's face became visible. She appeared to be very frightened. She pulls back far enough to mouth the words, Can't run anymore, and Sorry, before the transmitter deactivates. No additional transmissions have been received. SCP-4971 was written by DJ Cactus. Script edited by Kevin Whitlock. Our narrator was John Grills. Aleppo was Bonnie Calderwood Aspinwall. Anna was Daisy McNamara. Atlantis was Janine Bauer. Command was Reese Torado. Dr. Atkiss was Atticus Jackson. Dr. Anders was Nicole Goodnight. Dr. Engel was Dustin Parsons. Dr. Sumerian was Jesse Hall. Dr. Decker was Scott Paladin. Eclipse was Alyssa Park. Horizon was Brandon Wynn. Katrina Randolph was Madeline Moore. Nine Eyes was Marquise Moore. Vestige was Rissa Montanez. Our theme song was done by Tom Rory Parsons. Your editor was Veronica California. Our showrunner was Kale Brown, and I'm your producer, Pacific S. Obadiah. Our executive producers are Tom Owen and Brad Miska, and this is a Bloody FM show. For more information, visit bloody.fm.